Our study of 1 Corinthians brings us to chapter 9 in a message our study leader, Dave Wurtson, has titled, The Preacher Who Didn't Take Money. Before you listen to the lie that all preachers are cons, think about the words of the Apostle Paul, who hardly drove a Lincoln as a side benefit of his ministry. Instead, he had his head chopped off by the Emperor Nero. We want to talk about money, the support of local church ministers. You've watched powerful, famous evangelists that drive their Lincoln Continentals, chauffeured, of course. You've heard of big, powerful evangelists that have Palm Spring hideaways, that uh, live on gigantic estates. The jokes in your office have been about the theater, the theater of evangelism. And just to be frankly honest with you, that is incredibly discouraging to see the Elmer Gantry kind of a literary figure become a reality, much more than a reality, a very brutal and agonizing reality. Because of that, 1 Corinthians 9 is a portion of Scripture that in this age where a lot of preachers have forgotten the priority of the message of salvation, and have given in to extravagance and the abuse of God's people, the message of 1 Corinthians 9, more than any other time, needs to be heeded. Because though many people believe that there are no religious teachers of integrity, though many people laugh at the gospel and think that the gospel is just something that you tag on, maybe at the end of a Nashville concert on gospel singing, Maybe it's just another style, another theatrical performance. Across the world, across this nation, there are still men and women who believe in the power of the gospel and are even willing to risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. The hardest thing on any preacher of the gospel is for his authority to be called into question. In my own ministry, I haven't faced a lot of that. And the Lord has worked over the years, and there's been many rich blessings. But for many pastors, that's not the case. And that might not be the case all the rest of my life. You never know what might be along that pathway of life. One thing that's very encouraging is that you can be confident that no matter what will happen to us, it's already happened to someone in the Bible. And as great as the Apostle Paul was, as insightful as he was into the eternal plan of God, a man who actually saw the resurrected Christ, if ever there was a man who had authority, if ever there was a man who was not a theater, if ever there was a man that was not pretending, it was the Apostle Paul. And yet in 1 Corinthians 9, there's a very deep emotional chapter because his dear Corinthian believers, a church that he probably loved more than any other church, but a church that gave him grief month after month after month. And in 1 Corinthians 9, he's reacting to a very strong faction within the Corinthian church that is saying, Paul, we don't think you're an apostle. We don't think you have any authority over our lives. We don't think that what you're teaching us is true. We don't believe that you have the right to tell us spiritually what to do. Now that's tough. 
You know, you parents can feel some of Paul's agony. It's your 18-year-old son that you raised a certain way, that you loved, that you cared for, that you provided for. Your moms gave birth to that 18-year-old. And now they look you in the face and say, I don't want to do what you want me to do. I want to get out on my own. I'm not going to listen to you. I reject you. That's tough. One of the hardest things that a parent can ever face. And that's a kind of pathos which is over 1 Corinthians 9. But the Apostle Paul is one of those incredible examples. He walked so close to the Lord Jesus Christ, and in many ways he just became a mirror image of our dear Savior. And he takes us into a depth of how to react to antagonism, how to react to discouragement, how to react to rejection. And 1 Corinthians 9 is a model of how an authentic minister Unless you forget, I want you to know from the depths of my heart that across the world, across the land, like I said earlier, there are still authentic men that are proclaiming the gospel that would be willing to risk their lives for that. Let's talk today about the preacher who would not take money. That's a switch, isn't it? In fact, this chapter is a very interesting chapter because the reason the Apostle Paul got in trouble is not because he was driving a Lincoln Continental, but because he wouldn't drive anything he wouldn't take anything he would not allow the corinthians to give him a dime that's the strange twist of this chapter the apostle paul in first corinthians 9 is in trouble with the corinthians not because he took money but because he wouldn't take any and so we have an interesting switch in this whole debate and concern about financial things now the first thing the apostle paul addresses is in verses 1 through 3 he talks about his authenticity and I might not be authentic, and you might not be authentic, but what I want to share with you is that there is authenticity in spiritual things. And one thing that I want you to know from the depths of my heart is I could really care less whether you listen to what I think, whether you listen to what I say. I don't care about my personal authority, but I care very, very much whether you believe the Apostle Paul told the truth. Because all that I'm trying to do as we go through 1 Corinthians is to get a clear understanding with the Holy Spirit's help of what in the world the Apostle Paul is trying to get across to us. And I want you to build your life on the authenticity of the Apostle Paul's teaching. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, he talks about that authenticity. Let's look at it. Am I not free? Don't I have the right to do what I want to do? Am I not an apostle? Am I not one of the foundational gifted men within God's family? The church is founded on Christ as the chief cornerstone, then the apostles and the prophets. Paul is one of those foundational witnesses. The foundation of the church. Am I not an apostle? Look at this next statement. Have I not seen the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus our Lord? Have I not seen him? And the, the intent is, have I not seen him alive? Am I not an eyewitness of the resurrection of Christ? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you. For you are the seal. You are the authenticating mark. You're the signifying sign. You are my proof, my document of authenticity that I am an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, Dave, 
What's important for us in those verses? Because in our day, the whole in thing is that everyone has the truth. There's many truths. And the idea is that Christianity is just one of many truths, and that's where the power is leaking out. You see, in our culture today, the problem in the United States is that Christianity isn't persecuted. Not that we ask for persecution, but in a day where everything is acceptable, where everything is okay, where Christianity is just one among many options, Christianity and Christians lose the gut-level reality of what it represents. You see, it doesn't cost us a lot. It doesn't mean that much as far as making decisions where if I really proclaim Christ, I might lose everything. But the Apostle Paul was one of those rare individuals that was willing to give it all. Even when I talk to you like that, you all start feeling guilty and you start to feel like, man, I don't know whether I could measure up or anything. And what I want to share with you is there's no way that you can know that if you just commit yourself to the reality of Jesus. And it's a very simple reality. It's a belief that Paul actually saw Jesus alive. Oh, I want you to understand that. We've gone over that on Easter. We go over it again and again and again. But what I want you to keep coming back to in your life is the simplicity that the Bible teaches that there's a man who came from the beyond, lived on this planet, and then he died. But then he rose again. And it really happened. It's not a story. It's not a fable. It genuinely happened. And that should be the meaning of your life today. As you sit there, as you sit there and suddenly that thought comes over you, what happens when I die? Do you ever wonder that? What happens the moment that I die? When you're kids, you don't think that much about that. But every once in a while, even when you're kids, you start to think, oh, yeah, what happens if I die? What happens then? Now, that's a terrifying thought. It terrifies the living daylights out of me. It's scary. Just think of, of dying. That's terrible. We all want to run away from that. But it's one of the realities. It's an objective reality of this earth. You know what Paul says to us? He says, David, don't be afraid. I've already seen a man who was dead. But he's not dead anymore. Because on the Damascus Road, that dead Savior proved to be very much alive, and he just sledgehammered me out of my Judaism, out of my Phariseeism, and I became a disciple of the living Christ. And the Apostle Paul says, David, it's not religion, it's not a good philosophy. I already had all that. I had religion and philosophy, but on the Damascus Road, I did not find religion, I did not find philosophy, I did not find good teaching. What I found was ultimate reality. And Paul would look at me and say, Dave, do you believe it? And he said, Dave, if you'll believe it, you'll live. That's what we need to get back to. The amazing thing is we are writing commentaries today. We have religious groups like crazy today. We have a nice evangelical community. But even as you're reading all this material, you can ask yourself, do they really believe that it's true? Do they genuinely believe that it happened? Because it's that existential commitment that deep in your heart you say, yes, I do, that changes it all from just a belief system to the power of God and to salvation until Jesus comes. And I don't want you to ever forget it. What this church is about 
is a group of common, everyday people that if you ask them, do you believe Jesus is alive in reality, in objective fact? Do you believe that he's conquered death and a, and a believer in childlike faith says, yes, I do? You say, Dave, how do I know that's true? Because the Apostle Paul told the truth. And that's why I believe it. And the more that I study his writings, the more I believe that he told the truth. Because to me, this man, as you get into the fabric of his life, he's not a hypocrite. He's nowhere near an Elmer Gantry. He is one of the most authentic men that ever lived. And I'm willing to base my life on that. And all of you are going to face that challenge. And that's what your office needs to hear. They just need to hear your childlike faith that I really believe from the depths of my being with the Apostle Paul that Jesus Christ is alive. And I'm trusting him that he'll help me to be alive forever. Just let that idea just give you hope. Isn't it incredible that as we grow old and as we live in such a fragile existence that we have a Savior who is genuinely alive that's going to take us home to be with him forever? Oh, don't let that just become Another idea. The Apostle Paul says, I am an authentic apostle because, number one, I'm an eyewitness of Jesus Christ. The Apostle, his preeminent characteristic was that he was chosen by the living God to be a legal eyewitness, a historical, legal, courtroom eyewitness of the resurrection of Christ. Now, many people saw him. Over 500 Jews agreed about it. But the Lord God chose a select group of legal representatives to lay the foundation to say historical reality is that this Jesus of Nazareth is the eternal Son of God and it's true because these men witness it. Now you can believe it and you can say I'm ready to die for it or you can say forget it. What you can't do is to go to church every Sunday and be nice, sweet, little ethical Christians, because you won't be unless you really believe it. You just can't make it nice. I heard of somebody, Mary was sharing with me, a dear friend was sharing about they went to church for week after week. They haven't heard the name of Jesus in church for a month and a half or so. It's incredible to me. It's incredible. And I want to challenge you because I, I grieve for some of you. You might get trapped in that. If I ever don't tell you about Jesus, walk out. Stand up and say, we never heard about Jesus. We didn't thank him today. We didn't praise him today. We didn't rejoice in him today. We didn't learn anything about him today. I'm leaving. This isn't church. Oh, we need people with guts like that. That know what reality is. And not angry people. Only reason I talk loud is to keep you awake. Some of the little kids ask me, why do you talk loud? I tell them, because your mom and dad fall asleep. I have to. We need just common, everyday, childlike people that will have a clear grasp of the truth and will understand it. The Apostle Paul is an authentic apostle. He was an eyewitness of the resurrection. And the proof of that was that when he went into a community like Corinth and he proclaimed the gospel, a church was born. I want to say that again. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. You know, when I came to Midlothian, I didn't know very much about that. 
I never in my wildest imagination thought I would be here this long. I never thought we would be doing what we're doing. I kind of slid into the pastor. I wanted to teach every Sunday. I was at Faith Bible Church. I taught every other week, just an adult Sunday school class. A group of you said, hey, you come out here, you can teach every week. I said, great, that's what I want to do, so here I am. But soon after that, in the middle of the night, the Lord touched my heart, and I woke up almost in a cold sweat. He said, you know, David, you have the responsibility of my kids. And you might have been a chemistry major. You might have been thinking about going to medicine, but I've got plans completely different, and I don't care if it's just 15 people. They are my sheep. And you need to just open your heart to me and be like a little child and submit to me or you're going to blow it so badly with the most important responsibility that I could ever give to you. And a church was born. You know, that's the authority of the gospel. It's not my authority. The reason the Lord gave birth to a church is just because of the power of the gospel. And you can take me right out of this thing. You can take other people right out of it. And the power of the gospel will still, if it's clung to, and if it's believed in, and if people are committed their lives to it, the power of the gospel will keep exploding in people's lives. And that's what all of us need to understand. The Apostle Paul could go into a pagan, idolatrous, immoral city and proclaim the gospel. And when he was finished, there was new life, little babies that had been born. You want a purpose for living? I want you to claim your office. I want you to think of specific people that we can pray for in your office. Pick out the worst sinner in the group. Christ came into the world to save sinners. You kids at school, pick the worst freak at school and pray that he'll be born again. You see, the Lord doesn't want us to get into our little society with the good people with the moral people, with the, with the people that have their act together. The Lord's called us to go out with the people that don't have their act together, that are hurting, that are suffering. And that's what the Apostle Paul did. He went to the Las Vegas of the ancient world, and that's where he planted a church. And that's the kind of a mentality that we need to have as a church family. And as the years go by, it's so easy to lose that. As the years go by, it's so easy to be very comfortable with what the Lord has already done. The Apostle Paul was never comfortable. He was always driving, moving, not to earn favor with God, but because he was so full of love and rejoicing in the power of the gospel and to salvation. So Paul's authenticity was the fact that he was an eyewitness of the resurrection, and he was a founder of new community of believers, which authenticated the fact that he was signified by God to be a proclaimer of the gospel. In verses 3 through 27, he talks about the defense of his authority. In verses 3 through 14, he talks about the evangelist's right to support. The Apostle Paul does not take support. We'll learn that from the second part of the chapter. There were some reasons for that. But in verses 3 and following, he defends the believer's right to support. He says this, This is my defense to those who sit on judgment on me. Notice the Apostle Paul is being judged. He has people that are attacking him. And notice how he reacts. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Zephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who must work for a living? 
The Apostle Paul in those verses introduces the reality that as a proclaimer of the gospel, that he had the right of support. And he calls attention to the fact of what many other apostles are doing, and we get a brief little vignette of what kind of mission activity was going on in the first century. He talks about Peter proclaiming the gospel. And he mentions some important things. He mentions that those apostles took along a, a sister as a wife. They took their wife with them. Little interesting aside, they would call the wife a sister, which reminds us again that we only marry in the Lord. And some of you have been asking me about that. And you need to be obedient to Scripture in that. You need to marry only in the Lord. It's the, one of the most preeminent things that you should find out about someone as you begin to develop a male-female relationship. It's not something that's tacked on. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is the heartbeat of your existence. If it isn't, then we don't really know for sure where you yourself stand with the Lord because He is the Savior. And if you disagree with your mate about who Jesus is, you've disagreed about the most important thing in all of reality. And it's hard to have a team when you disagree about the most important thing. And I know that sounds so simplistic, and I know that when romantic love overwhelms you, you can forget that. But please don't. Because the scripture is very clear. You need to marry a sister in the Lord, a brother in the Lord. By the way, that's a good way to begin relationships from a brother-sister perspective. The Apostle Paul says, I have the right. If I wanted to get married, 1 Corinthians 7 stressed that point, I could do it. Peter was married. Also the Lord's brother. The Lord's brothers got support from the churches. The Apostle Paul says all the other apostles go around the country, go around the world of their day, and they get support from the churches, even support that covers the wife. By the way, I think that might be a good thing for the modern church to remember because often the modern church is like the business community. Most of you don't get support for your wife to go along with you when you go on business trips. The company will cover your need, but it doesn't cover your wife. So then we wonder why we send businessmen and women all over the United States and they're away for a week or two weeks, staying in foreign cities, and we can't understand why we have problems with morality. 1 Corinthians 7 says, don't go away too long. In the early community of believers, they supported a wife. It's a very good thing, according to this text, that if we have traveling ministers come in, that we'll also provide for their helpmeet to come with them. It's not an extravagance. The Apostle Paul says it's a very important Necessity, But it was one of the things that the early apostles did. Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us? As do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Zephas. And he says, is it only I and Barnabas, Barnabas and I, that work for a living? And Barnabas and Paul evidently did their tent-making ministry uh, instead of taking support from the church. And he's saying, are we the only ones that don't have the right to support? Now, what is Paul arguing? He says... He has the right to sustenance, his food and drink. He has the right to be married. And he has the freedom to not have to work a secular job. Now, those are his rights. Is the church a business? When we need management models, where should the church look? Join us for the answers on the next Encounter with Truth. <laughs>